I love that. Don't just change based on the environment, but change the environment, right? This is pretty funny. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw this, but there's a lot of changes here this morning, right? So I'm so used to, like, if I get ready to speak, come up and uh, sit here. Like, I've sat here probably, I don't know, over the years, maybe a couple hundred times at least. So, of course, today, I was coming up here. This is a lot lower. So I just about bit the dust. And if you missed it, you really missed a moment that would have been something you could have ridiculed me for forever. But since you didn't see it, you don't know what happened. But I'm up for the change. Anyway, let's read the scripture. Why don't we all stand? Uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. This is one of those, um, this is one of those Bible stories that maybe, uh, if not all of us have heard it, uh, maybe many of us have, but I want to take a run at this, specifically looking at Zacchaeus' life change and uh, how we're all invited to have definite change in our own lives. So let's read together. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Actually, 9 and 10 got flipped around, but uh, we just did that to change the scripture. Anyway, that was a, that was a mistake. But can, can we go back to 10 so we can finish this? Pro- there we go. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You can sit down before anything else changes. <laughs> So what's changed uh, a lot more than we were prepared for, apparently. Anyway, change is just something that happens in our lives, isn't it? Change occurs, uh, it it really occurs daily. It occurs in a lot of different ways. Change can be good. Change can bring a lot of stress. Change can bring tension. Um, A lot of you are in the midst of possibly really large changes. Um... All of us are in the midst of small changes. Even this morning represents change for each one of us. So I just want to pose to you kind of three questions that I think um, helps, us, helps us move into beneficial change. Because obviously we could just talk about change, and there's a lot of benefit just talking about change and what happens in our life with change. 
but I want to talk to you about beneficial change because I think we all, we're all desiring change. We all want to grow. We all want to develop. We all want to become uh, the kind of people that we were created to be. Um, so that requires beneficial change, right? If we're honest people, uh, which I believe you are, uh, then we would say that my life isn't what fully what I was created to be, right? So in order for us to move into that uh, more distinctly, we need to make sure that there's good change going on in our lives, that we move into beneficial change uh, and that we are paying attention to it. So the first question, uh, and these are questions that really I see and I'll, I'll give to you from this story of Zacchaeus. The first question is simply, where am I? Where am I? Uh, you know, what's going on in my life right now? What needs to change? The second question is, and where do I want to be? That's a question that's important for us all to ask. And then, and that's a unique question for each one of us. And then the third question is, and what do I do next? Because you can know where you're at. You can know what you want to become but if you don't do anything, if there's no changes, the third question is where we actually put into practice change. We receive change in our lives and say, this is where I'm going, this is where I am, this is where I'm going, and these are the things, or this is the thing, or these are a couple of things that I need to do next in order to get to that place. Because if we don't intentionally take some steps, then once again, we just kind of put ourselves in the position of our lives will change, um, but not necessarily for the good. It might just end up being you'll be here in five more years, and I'll be here in five more years, and we'll look at each other and say, well, there's been a lot of changes, but I feel like I'm kind of back the same place I was in 2018. So none of us want that, right? So the first step um, is to... Uh, in finding out where I am, where you are, is it requires an evaluation. It requires paying attention, an evaluation of our life. Zacchaeus is in a place in Luke 19 where he is evaluating his life. Where is my life? Now, looking from the outside, and the reason why I accentuated, for instance, that he was rich, looking from the outside, a lot of people would have thought possibly that Zacchaeus' life was great because for a lot of people, that's all they gauge it by. Zacchaeus was rich, so why would he want anything to change? I mean, just stay rich in, because rich people just have great lives, don't they? Well, if you're not rich, you don't really know that. If you are rich, you know it's not true. It's like, no, I have things that need to change. So Zacchaeus determines where he is. Now, so determining where you are requires an evaluation. How many of you have ever had a home inspection? Uh, like you bought a new house, you had a home inspection, go ahead and raise your hand. So it's interesting because when it comes to evaluating our own life, this can be a really painful thing at times. You know, it can be humiliating to look at your life and, and pay close attention and say, wow, there's, there's some structure here that needs some work, right? Uh, and, you know, when we get a home inspection, we do it intentionally. We go through the pain intentionally. Like we want the inspector to walk through the rooms, walk through the house, look at all the surface stuff, but really get into the nuts and bolts of what the house is made of. And out of that, they'll say, this needs to be fixed or that needs to be fixed. And that can be painful and it's certainly costly. It's not cheap to get your house inspected. So there is a cost, it can be painful, it can be humiliating, 
Um, and you can actually decide when you decide where you are with your house being inspected, you could decide against maybe purchasing the house, right? But finding out where I am is the place of evaluation. It is the painful place. Now, there's three ways that we find out or evaluate where we're at, uh, especially as Christ followers. And I'm only going to really zero in on one, but the first way, I want to tell you what the three main ones are. The first way that we evaluate our lives is by allowing the Holy Spirit to evaluate us, allowing the Holy Spirit, the voice of God, by God giving us a sense, identifying things in our lives uh, that need to be changed or need to grow or could use some development. So that's the first place. That's the most reliable place, right? Secondly, in a very important place, um, but we're not going to really talk about today, but I want you to know about is community, That we all have a community or it's good for us, important for us to properly evaluate our life, to have people that we can count on that love us, that have uh, our best, uh, our, our relationship with Christ, for instance, at the center, and they'll speak into our life. They'll encourage us to do the things that would help us move into the dreams, perhaps, that we have, those kinds of things, or encourage us to move into growing in God. So that's a critical part. But the part that uh, I want to talk to you about mainly with this piece is your inner critic, just your, that, that, that inner critic that we all have that God created us with. Nobody knows some of the things that are being said to you or you pay attention to more clearly than you do except for God. There are things that you are aware of. Now, you may not pay a lot of attention to them, but there are, in, there are things that you know need to change. There are things, growth places. And this inner critic needs to play a critical role in our life. Now, I'll say this. You've got to be careful when it comes to your inner critic because some of us move, uh, move our inner critic to this place where we allow, we get so hard on ourselves, it goes beyond identifying and evaluating what needs to change in our lives, and it gets into this place where we just feel defeated. We can be harder on ourselves, for instance, than God would ever be. Do you understand? But it's critical that you pay attention to what you know about yourself. Maybe you're lazy. Maybe you don't follow through. Maybe you have anger that needs some work. Maybe you have had goals that you've never followed through on. Maybe there's things that you know in your heart developmentally or physically or educationally or relationally that you could move to the next level. You've done the inspection. You've allowed the inner critic to speak, and it's been identified, but then what do you do with it? Now, another caution when it comes to our inner critic, and it's kind of tied in with this one of being so hard on ourselves that this inner critic, we just beat the daylights out of ourselves. So we've got to make sure that that's not what we're talking about. We're just being honest, taking evaluation with, that, with the conscience that God has given us. Um, but one thing that we fall into as people is we compare ourselves by ourselves, and this happens in this story with Zacchaeus. The whole crowd compares themselves, at least at some level, with Zacchaeus. They don't like him. He's a tax collector. He's wealthy. He's probably stolen from all of them. And they identify their life at some level with him. We've all got to be careful that when we evaluate our life and caution ourselves to not uh, compare ourselves by anybody else. 
They're, they're really, you are a masterpiece. And this is a prevalent problem in our culture. We look, at, we look at movie stars, we look at athletes, we look at business leaders, investors, we look at people that, that are heroes of ours educationally, whatever it may be, and then we think that we should be that. And I'm here to tell you that God did not create you to be anybody else but you. And you are totally unique. Now, there are things to admire. There are things to pursue in that way. But to think that your uniqueness and that person's unique, you don't know what kind of a life that person has. Some of those heroes that you don't know what kind of marriage they go home to. You don't know how their children feel about them. You don't know what they do in the middle of the night. You don't know what they do when they travel. And so it is with you. You are this unique masterpiece that is this, that is this composite, a collage of first God created you, and for however many years you've been on this earth, you have been, become a collective of experience. You have education that is unique to you. You have relationships that are unique to you. You have finances that are unique to your situation. You have traveled to parts of the world unique to you. You have traveled to parts of this country unique to you. You, have, you are a composite of all of that. And you become a steward. We all become stewards of that. So never allow looking at somebody else's life become the discouragement for you. You were not supposed to be them. You're responsible to be the best you that you were created to be. So you can let go of becoming the next Warren Buffett and whoever else it might be that you want to become. You, you can let go of being that movie star or singer that you wanted to be, but go for what you were created to be. Lean into it. That is taking an honest evaluation. There's tragedies or difficulties that have happened in your life, and you become the composite of this. Judging by the standard of other people will always lead us to disappointment and discouragement because there's one other piece that happens here. is There's this myopic view of the people that we admire and we only zero in on the goodness, and there's this one area, for instance, right? Maybe they're an amazing communicator, but that's really all we know about that person. And we don't know about all the other things, and we set ourselves up for a huge disappointment because you and I will never be what we set some people up in our minds to be. Admire them, celebrate them, cheer them on, but live your life the second thing is, so where do I want to be? The second question, where do I want to be? Now, Zacchaeus, uh, he clearly wants to be near Jesus. And you'll notice in this scripture, it's, it's fascinating. In 10 verses of scripture, most, most translations use the word see or seek six or seven times in 10 verses of scripture. The word see or seek is used at least 10 times. So where do you want to be? You focus, whatever you're focused on, whatever you are seeing, whatever you're paying attention to, 
That is your pursuit. That's why some people, for instance, make things like dream boards or, or we put our goals on a, on, a, on, a, on a sheet of paper. We write those things down because we realize at some level that if I can remind myself of these things and I keep pursuing them, that I will move into that. Zacchaeus has one thing that he's after, Jesus. And the scripture says that he can't see him. It's like if I can just see Jesus... Because that's really what I'm in pursuit of. I'm not in pursuit of all these other things. What I'm after is Jesus. If I could just see Jesus, right? So he shows up. He can't see. So then he climbs a tree because I just got to see Jesus. And when he begins to see Jesus, it all starts to unfold for him. He begins to, he begins to realize what he's been after. Now, now uh, compare that with the rest of the crowd who aren't there to see Jesus, really. I mean, they are at some level because there's a crowd. But the truth about them, as the story goes on, is they're seeing other things. Interesting study by researcher Dan Simon um, that I want to have you guys check out. Dan Simon's a researcher. He's done this social psychology study. Some of you might be familiar with this, but this this is a really cool practice. Uh, that he's going to lead us through. So just pay attention to the screens. If you have gone through this before, just, uh, just play along. Play the game along with us. So uh, the, the key here, and he's going to explain it, is you just want to count how many times the folks in the white shirt pass the ball to each other. Can we see this clip? What I want to do is test your own intuitions. And I want to show you a task that you might intuitively think is pretty difficult. Um, but as it will turn out, you're actually going to be pretty good at doing it. Some of you may have seen this before. If you have, it'll make it that much easier for you, but you should still try your best to do it. The task is simple. All you have to do is count how many times three people wearing white shirts pass a basketball. So they're going to be running around, passing this ball, dribbling it. Sometimes they're going to fake passes to make it harder to keep track. Uh, But all you have to do is count how many total times they pass the ball. Now, we're going to make it that much harder by also having three people wearing black shirts passing their own ball and you're not supposed to count those. You're only supposed to count the passes by the players wearing white. Okay, let's give it a shot. Okay, how many people got 15 passes? Some of you probably got 14, some of you probably got 16. Uh, For those of you who haven't seen this before, uh, did anybody spot a gorilla? Did anybody not spot a gorilla? Good, okay. Here's what it is, let me just rewind and you can kind of see what happens here. There's the gorilla. The gorilla's walking through the scene. It stops there, thumps its chest for a second. (laughs) Ducks under a pass. Um, The gorilla is there for nine seconds. But when you do this under under more controlled conditions in a lab where you bring in one person at a time, uh, you find that fully 50% of people don't notice the gorilla. Um, In fact, if you ask them about it, they say, oh, what? Um, We've had people accuse us of showing them different videos before and after. (laughs) Why is that? Well, this is, this is a compelling example for a number of reasons, but mostly it's compelling because it's counterintuitive. It's hard to imagine that a person in a gorilla suit could be in the middle of a video for nine seconds, fully visible, right there in front of you, and you could still not see it. We intuitively believe that the mechanisms of attention will automatically bring to focus things that matter to us. And it turns out that that intuition is dangerously wrong. Um, just to... It's amazing, isn't it? 
50% of people, and there's all kinds of different examples of this. This was his most famous uh, example, uh, and he's actually written a book about it. But the point being, we don't, we, we, we assume we're seeing everything. We assume that we're, we're picking up everything that we need to pick up. And I would contend that in our relationship with Christ, we operate this way at a certain level, that we're always making this assumption that Jesus is the focal point of our relationship. But the truth of the matter is, is if we're not intentionally focusing on seeing God, seeing Jesus in the midst of our life, seeing the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life, we could go long periods of time and totally miss what God is trying to do in our life. This is the point, right, of Zacchaeus. The scripture says, it's one of the points, the scripture says Zacchaeus saw Jesus. And then what does it say that everybody else sees? It says that they, what they saw, they saw Jesus, but they didn't see the Jesus that Zacchaeus saw, right? Who just, Zacchaeus saw new life. Zacchaeus saw Jesus, Zacchaeus saw life change and transformation. Zacchaeus saw an opportunity for his life to change in a way that he had longed for it to change. And almost instantaneously, it changes. While the other people see Jesus as someone who likes to drink a lot and parties with people that are undesirables. This group's a negative group, aren't they? What they see, even though the gorilla is in the scene, is they see all the other stuff. You ever do that? What have, you, have you ever found yourself not really looking for the thing, the, the one Jesus central in your life that can bring life change to you, transform you in a way that is powerful? Some of us can relate to this, like even in the way our life in Christ is gone. Some of us have known Christ for a long time, had a relationship with Christ for a long time. And we think, gosh, early on, I saw the gorilla. I, I saw Jesus in everything. It was like I couldn't have a drink of orange juice without seeing Jesus in my life. And, and my life was changing. I was willing to, for instance, like Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus gives gobs of money away instantaneously because early on you saw those things. It's like, I knew what I needed to change. I knew the things that needed to be transformed in my life. So I readily saw Jesus in almost everything. And then things go on and our lives become like a Waldo book, right? Like early on in the Waldo book, you see Waldo clearly. It's easy to pick out because the kids, the little kids are doing, but as it goes on, it becomes the Waldo book and story gets progressively hard till you get to the end of the story and it's just pages, a couple of pages of just Waldo. Everybody's Waldo. And now it's your job to find the Waldo without a sock on or something, right? The point is, is how critical is it for us to focus our lives on Christ? Focus the change in our lives on the things that God desires to see in our lives. Psycho psychologists uh, refer to this principle of habituation. 
Like things get introduced in our life uh, early on or, or right away, something new, like for instance, a watch maybe for you. I remember when I first got this watch, this watch is a long, this is a pretty old watch. Claire gave it to me um, as a gift years ago. I remember when I first got this watch, that's all I could think about was I had this watch on, right? It was like, you ever been there? You just feel the watch. And it was new and it was cool and everything. Now, if I had this watch on, I don't know it's there unless I intentionally need to like look for the time, right? So we get used. It's just, it's just, it's how we're made. We get used to things. John Ortberg refers to what he calls spiritual habituation. These things that we we see, they're not right, that need to change. We're not seeing the thing through that needs to be transformed in our lives. We we have these things. We become aware of them. They need to change. It's the thing we're being invited to, but we don't do anything with it. Uh, I don't know. Some of you, this might happen around your house, like at our house. Uh, I can fall into this, and it really kind of concerns me because I wonder if I can get this way spiritually at times. But like at our house, you ever have one of those things that gets broken in your house? You know, some of you are just great. Something gets broken, you fix it. I'm not always that way. Like, if you invited me over to fix something at your house that was broken, I'd probably be pretty good at that. But my own house, it's like I just, you kind of get used to it. You get used to the thing that's broken. So at our house, one of the things that gets broken is our toilet. And anyway, this toilet, this is our upstairs toilet. Uh, and sorry if this offends you that you're seeing our toilet. But you notice the sign on the side. It says, shake the handle, love you. So this toilet, this toilet... Uh, has had two monumental overflows. Our house is about 16 years old, and in 16 years, uh, we've, had, we've had two big, big overflows. I mean, disastrous overflows. One time we were at church, we came home, there was water everywhere, so you got the upstairs floor, the main floor, the basement, water everywhere, because the, the, the jiggly thing gets stuck. You know, it just gets stuck, and it just runs So instead of fixing the jiggly thing, you just put a sign up next to it, right? Shake the handle. Love you. So, you know, earlier this year, we had another time water over. The first one was a big insurance claim. This time I was too humiliated for an insurance claim. So uh, this actually produced the sign. This is what it did. This is the room below the bathroom. This is our laundry room. And it just, it's, that's like, if you went to our house today... If you do drywall, anyway, this is what it looks like. See, so this is how our lives can get, right? Jiggle the handle instead of fixing and changing and allowing God to work on our lives. We start doing creative things to get around our brokenness, right? Jiggle the handle. Yeah, I love you too. Jiggle the handle and, and our house begins to fall apart. And this is what it can look like spiritually. And who knows, next time I'm sure I'll be in with other slides for you. (laughs) But these are the things that can happen in our life. Zacchaeus knew he needed to be fixed. He knew he needed change. He knew he was broken. So when he's told and responds to the third question, what do I do next? He responds. 
Now, it's interesting when it comes to what do I do next, it's estimated by those that research these things that our lives on average are made up of 500 small actions a day, on average. 500 small actions. And we do those actions pretty much day in and day out. 500 things. When it comes to what do I do next, our tendency with everything in our lives generally is we want to do something big because we want to have a big bang. And it's hard for us to trust the slow, methodical work of God and change in our lives that brings the most powerful results. Now, there are those moments when the Holy Spirit does something, transforms our life in an instant, but that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to move into this place like Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus, you, you've heard that thing, aim high, aim high. You know, then if you don't make it, then you at least made it somewhere. I would contend that the best philosophy is to aim low, is to aim at those 500 small actions in our life. I'm not saying don't aim high, that's great. I, I would never, I've tried to do that in my own life. But I think as a practice, and what we see Zacchaeus do is he simply does small steps and his life changes. Zacchaeus climbs a tree. That is a small movement to see God. Zacchaeus is asked to throw a party for his friends. Who doesn't want to do that? Zacchaeus was probably always throwing parties for his friend. Gladly, I will take that small step. Zacchaeus isn't even asked by Jesus to give any money or anything like that, but because he is so aware of his brokenness, to us, this may seem like a really large step. This is nothing to Zacchaeus, the wealthiest person in the region, to pay back, multiplied times over the things that he had. This was a fraction of what Zacchaeus had to his resources. So I would say when it comes to what do I do next, that we start with small changes tomorrow or possibly this afternoon or this week Small changes done over a long period of time brings decisive trans transformation in our lives. It moves us to the places that God desires for our lives to represent. For some of us, it might be something as small as just decluttering our lives with our schedule or with our things, giving away some of the enormous amount of resources, just things that we have that we're climbing over. Years ago, Claire and I did this. We made a commitment that every week we were going to either recycle uh, something by, by giving it to somebody else that could use it that was in our house, or we were going to take it to Goodwill and recycle it or some other agency that could recycle that way. It's a very small step, but it can change your life, those kinds of things. Daily examining my life at the end of the day and repenting for the things, it really only needs to take a few minutes. And your life over a period of a few years can change. Maybe for you, the small step is to say, give an additional $10 a week, which would, over a period of three years, that doesn't sound like much, you'd say, I don't really have much. Over a period of three years, giving $10 a week, you would give almost $1,600. Do you know what $1,600 can do? 
in a place like this, for instance, if you gave $10 extra every week for the next three years, you would pay for almost two full months of feeding the people that come in here once a month for our food pantry. That's about what it costs us to do that. You would be paying for, for instance, uh, the insurance on the box truck for the food pantry for 10, you change the world for $10 a week and the fuel that it costs us to have that box truck go back and forth to the food bank all year long. For $1,500, almost $1,600, you would have paid for this new drum set that Jeff and the worship team was blessing us with today Plus, there would have been money left over, a few hundred dollars left over, that would be inviting people into the presence of God. And we get to experience this worship team that leads us into God's power and presence. Small things over a period of time can transform lives, can transform children's lives. You know, if you got up 15 minutes earlier, went to bed 15 minutes later, and you committed that to things like exercising or yoga or praying or reading scripture or reading developmental books or just giving gratitude to God and to the people that you love, maybe making 15 minutes worth of phone calls every day and just to tell people, tell a person a day how much you love them and you're thankful for their life. 15 minutes to walk in nature over three years would change your life and mine. Do you know if, if you eat out, for instance, and you say, well, I can't save any money, I can't put any, your life in three years could be transformed by a really small movement. Some of us, for instance, go to Starbucks every day or we go to McDonald's almost every day. If you saved $5 out of that enormous coffee bill that you get or that you can't buy anything at McDonald's um, anymore for $5, uh, people have told me that. Anyway, I... If you just save that $5 a day and you just put that in the bank for yourself, do you know in three years you would almost have $4,000 on $5 a day for five days a week, not seven, just your work days. So $5 a day, I kind of figured it $5 a day because you still need to eat probably. So um, your, your McDonald's bill or your your Starbucks bill might be more than $5, so you'd be taking care of that as well. In three years, for instance, at 15 minutes a day, you would be investing 200, almost 275 hours into your life. And this one is really eye-opening to me. Do you know that with just seconds over eight minutes a day, you and I, if we, if we donated eight minutes a day to serving something, eight minutes a day, that's an hour a week. Fifteen minutes a day is two hours, around two hours a week of service. Serving children, serving people that have needs, and the research is astonishing how it changes your life to serve. How it transforms you and I. Something needs to change. Now, I would just challenge us with these two statements as we go forth and we receive God's blessing for the day. 
Something needs to change, and something will change in your life and mine. But if we want change to happen in the kind of way that it changed for Zacchaeus, we need to understand these two things as we head out. First of all, no new blessing. There's no room for more blessing in your life under the old order. So as you evaluate and scan your life and you want to invite change and blessing into your life, understand the old order. No matter how good your life is going, the old order cannot sustain the new thing that God has for you. Something has got to give. Something's got to change. And secondly, we restructure for where we're going, not for where we've been. God isn't asking any of us to re- We can't do anything about our yesterdays. Those are fixed. But if we want to move into the change that God has for our lives, the restructuring is for our tomorrows. These steps of faith are to move us into the new thing that God has for us. How wonderful is that? I mean, to me, if, if I could just live into these two thoughts, I want new blessings in my life, but I realize I gotta have a different order. There's gotta be some change to the order, the focus of my life needs to become more laser-focused on my relationship with God and what he's invited me to. And I am so wanting some restructure, just small steps, significant small steps done over time that joined with the power of the Holy Spirit and community working with me are going to change the world. And I believe that's the truth for your life as well. Let's stand. So God, we are so grateful that we're called to be people of change. We're so grateful for the uniqueness of our lives. so grateful that even on this day that I know that even as I was just sharing thoughts that you've given me that in this room there were so many different unique powerful change ideas coming into lives so we receive the goodness of that We receive the goodness of that as a community of faith. We recognize we walked into this room and the chairs were different and there were some things that had changed, but more than anything, God, we don't just want to, we don't want to just rearrange the furniture. We want to be the best crossroads church and ministries that this community of faith can be. We are open to the fresh wind and change of your spirit. So I bless my friends as they go, as they go into their afternoon, into their tomorrow, into their week. I pray that the promptings that you've given each one of us, we would move into, that you'd give us the creativity and the courage to move into those things. give you thanks in advance for the change in our lives. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Be blessed, guys. Have a great week.